Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to bringing transformation to the church. I'm here with Mary. Mary, we got two, well, one's a special guest. One's a welcome back. We got Nick back on podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm back. This is the first time I've been on podcast in a long time. We I'm don't so need the bobblehead tonight. No bobblehead. I didn't you. die, everyone. I didn't die. They, everybody keeps coming up to Nick going, how you feeling? Where have you been? <laughs> or, they, or they even wonder, like, are you, are you like, still with Acts 29? Are you on like a, like a performance improvement plan? <laughs> no. No, it's so great to have you back, brother. And we have a most yes. special guest today. I'm going to let you introduce him. Oh, I can't wait. We Today, we have Archbishop Aquila. Aquila, for those of us who cannot say that well. Archbishop Aquila, we are so excited to have you. We've been working with you in Denver, and we are in the middle of your uh, our, uh, the convocation of all the priests. And so welcome to the podcast. Thanks for Thank being here. Thank you very much, Nick. It's a great to be here with you and Father John and Mary, and uh, with all of our priests from the Archdiocese, and it's a great blessing. Amen. Amen. It's been a couple a days of grace. Us. Seems oh like it's been gosh. a week, but we've only been here for two days, right? I mean, I'm still adjusting to time changes. Time changes in like beautiful but long days, right? Yeah. So beautiful but long days, absolutely. Amen. So this Amen. is this is a glorious, awesome time with Archbishop with us. But before we get into this this great conversation, Father, will you pray us in? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to be right now with our brother. We want to thank you in a special way for his leadership, uh, especially here in the Archdiocese of Denver, but far beyond the archdiocese thanks for his witness for his courage for his example uh, just for the man that he is lord we pray for an outpouring of grace and blessing upon him and upon all his brother bishops in our country give them wisdom and courage for these uh, apostolic times that we're living in we just entrust this conversation to you that it would be uh, edifying and encouraging and inspiring uh, to those who are able to eavesdrop on it all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, Nick, we've you know we've uh, we've had the opportunity, the real privilege, to be with the Archbishop on a number of occasions now, and uh, you've been out here doing some work with uh, with Deacon Steve and with uh, our brother Rick. Um, you had a couple things on your mind in a special way. I know that you just wanted to ask the Archbishop as we begin this conversation. What, what's in what's in your heart? Yeah. So, so coming to this episode, one of the things that's on my mind is um, our work at X twenty nine. We've really kind of continue to refine our strategy. Hmm. And at this point in time, we're really focused on going deep with a few bishops, archbishops around the country who we consider generals in their church right now. Guys who really want, as we say, God's world back, you know, more than us. And they want it more than we do. And and that's that's a big thing that's dear to our heart. And Archbishop, we, we admire you for that. We, we love you for that. And on a very personal level, um, the, the, cur- the courage you have to press in, you know, uh, it, it's just it's just inspiring. So I'm curious if you would share what what is it that the Holy Spirit is doing in you that's driving you to, to press into transformation? You know, there's there's a lot of different options you could take, but you're like, no, I'm going to press in press into transformation. So mm-hmm. can you speak about that? Sure. Um, for myself, one of the real beliefs and main belief for me is the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, that the gospel can truly change the lives of human beings, and the gospel really reveals to each of us who we are and who we are called to be. And so it's really 
in that encounter with Jesus Christ, that we discover the meaning and the purpose of life, that we that life gains meaning, and that I discover that my life is that I am created in God's image and likeness, that I'm a beloved son of the Father, and that Jesus Christ teaches me and sets me free from my own sin, from my own brokenness, mm -hmm. from the things that shackle me, and especially the lies of the evil one or the lies mm -hmm. of the world. And we live in times that are extremely unsettled, um, time of great confusion. And the only thing that's going to draw us out of that is the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And he wants to set us free. Mm -hmm. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it is precisely seeing the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought into my life that I want my priests to have that so that they can bring it to the faithful. And, and to really help the faithful encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. But then when we reflect on you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that it is really true freedom that the Lord gives to us mm. and not the shackles of the world. Yeah. Can I just say something real quick? You know, as, as you're talking to the Archbishop, you know, uh, what, a, what a privilege this is, I think, for us to be at the table with you and, and just to spend time with you in the way that we have over the, the last, you know, stuff, set of months, whatnot. But there's so many people that we all know, Mary, Nick, me, you know, so many uh, lay brothers and sisters who, uh, this is going to be no surprise to you, they're so frustrated in the church right now. They're so longing for leadership. Mm -hmm. And I just wish like so many people could be around the table right mm -hmm. now yeah. and just to see you and to mm -hmm. hear you and to hear like, oh, like there's somebody who gets it. You know, yeah. we're in Detroit and we're, we're so blessed with Archbishop Vigneron who gets it, who has that passion that you have for mm -hmm. for everybody to have this encounter with the Lord and to, mm -hmm. to come into a relationship with him because without it, life is just pointless. And, and, and all the things that we long for will never find fulfillment. So I'm just thinking, you know, like, I want to bring all the people who are listening, like, you're at the table with us right mm, now. Yeah. You know, because they're so desperate for courageous leadership. And you're, you're, you're giving a wonderful example of that to the brothers here, uh, to the Archdiocese of Denver, and far beyond. It's just, it's just such a gift to be here. It gives us heart. You know, it gives me heart. I'm encouraged to be um, on the ground here with you guys. I, I, I'm curious to know. So um, the very first day that we spent with you here on the ground for the convocation, Father John spent the day soaking the men in, in the gospel, right? Created, captured, rescued, response, had a time for ministry um, at the end of that day. I'm curious to know what your sense is, how that is impacting hmm. the priests. In listening to the priests and the testimonies that they were giving this morning, um, and, and they were touched in various ways, but for one of them to say, it was the first time I've heard the gospel. And I mean, that's an incredible gift. And there's no judgments. There's no, you know, well, gee, it's a shame that he's never heard the gospel before. But 
there's the rejoicing, at least in my heart, mm. of thank you, Lord, for bringing this man to the point of hearing the gospel. And, and that basic kerygma is, is essential for people to hear because most of the people in our pews have not heard that good news, that they, that they are still trying to do it on their own. And, um, and and as I shared at the uh, beginning of the uh, of the conference, um, the it, at times I really think Alcoholics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. and twelve step groups. If you sit down and you read the twelve steps, mm-hmm. they get it better than what we get. In often in the church, in, in the catechesis and in all of that, and because it's it, it's it's way too much of head stuff, and not enough of the heart, and calling the person to really surrender, in in, in the words of the twelve step to that higher being, but the one we need to surrender to is Jesus it's Christ, Jesus. and and Jesus will lead us to the Father. Jesus will lead us to the Holy Spirit and so that we can truly be in communion with the three persons of the Trinity and, and, and in that communion of love and live out of that. Archbishop, and, I just want to say something. So, so you just hit on something that was on my heart as I'm listening to you speak the very first time that our team was on the ground and met with you. One of the things that touched our hearts deeply was the you spoke the name of Jesus often. Mm. And being with all of you this week, I hear it again and again and again. To hear an archbishop um, press into the power that is in the name of Jesus inspires us to pieces. And that's exactly that. It's Jesus. It's not the higher power, right? right. We know that. But, ju- but just that, just to hear you name him. Jesus is Lord. Right? Yeah. Christ is his title. But when you name the name of Jesus, when you speak his name, um, it just touches my heart. And I know it touches your brother's heart. And, and isn't it something like, mm-hmm. like, we, like well, what else would you say? And yet it's so unusual Absolutely. in the church right now Absolutely. to either hear the gospel preached, to hear a bishop or an archbishop like use the name Jesus. I mean, right. there's, this is such a time in the church to kind of go back to basics, you know, just to return to the essentials. And, and again, I think... Well, it's like, it, it, it's like when you go to the Acts of the Apostles mm. and, or to Paul and you read their sermons or when they're preaching. And I mean, it's the kerygma. That's right. And, and people listened and their hearts were burning and, or they became Christian and said, we need Jesus Christ. And, and if we do not, the, the, the struggle within the church in the last, you know, 150 years is the lack of encounter with Jesus. And I remember in reading the lives of the saints in, during, there, there was one point several years ago where I'm going, every one of these saints has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they are able to articulate where their conversion happened, Mm -hmm. whether it's Ignatius 
or John of the Cross, mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila, Therese of Lisieux, Faustina, mm -hmm. they all point to their conversion, mm -hmm. where they encounter the love of Jesus Christ and everything changes. And, and he's the only one who can set us free. I mean, I can be loved by many different people, but they do not have the power right. to set me free. No one else has got a remedy for death. No. I need somebody no who's been has, there and come back. Yeah. Yeah. Right? right. right. That's and what, he's been there and he came back and it means I don't have to be afraid of it. And, and this is what Paul, this is what, this is what Jesus tells us through Paul, right? The gospel is the power of salvation for men. It's, it's the power. It's the gospel. It's this, it's this charisma. That's what we're talking about. So this is, this is interesting. So we're, we're in the middle of a convocation. We're talking about the power of the gospel. We're watching your sons, our priests' lives get changed again, right? Their transformation go deeper. Um, and there's always more for us, right? I mean, we've heard the gospel through Father John's preaching, married how many times? You're, you're right, countless. And yesterday I was crying, right? I mean, this is, this is just the power of the gospel. It, it cuts through. Um, always. Pierces yeah, flesh the heart. and bone, right? I mean, it just, it just gets there. So, and this is one of the things that was, so it's, it's just so Holy Spirit ironic that we're sitting here talking in the middle of a convocation in Denver because the first time we met you, Archbishop, we were in person, right? You get, we all remember vividly. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of were coming in, we're kind of feeling each other out, getting to know each other. And you shared this beautiful, heartfelt, just like, this is what the Lord put on my heart is, is, is my priests. The healing of my priests, the encounter with Jesus on my priests, for the sake of the world. And the way you shared, I mean, I think it was immediate like, okay, boom, here's the connection. Because at yeah. Acts 29, this we is want to heart. serve him. Yeah, we want to serve him. Right, exactly. So this that was the Holy Spirit connecting us right there. And so here we are again on the priesthood, talking about the power of the gospel. But as we, as we talk about this, I'm curious, Archbishop, right before we got on podcast, we were talking about how you've been a bishop for some time. And since you were 14, since <laughs> we, did the, we did the math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that wouldn't make it out. That was part of the conversation. The kid, okay, okay. So, 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 yeah. so you've been, you've been bishop since I was 14. But, 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 you know, there's, you were, you were talking about this temptation. There's a lot of guys out there who, you know, it's like, you know, ah, I'm getting at the end of my, my time and I could hang it up. I could just kind of ride it out, let the next guy fix it, right? I mean, it, it'd just be so easy to do that. Can you speak into that just a little bit? Like, what, sure, what, sure. You're not doing that. No. This is amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I Certainly, I gain energy. I mean, it's grace from proclaiming the gospel. And I love to preach. I love to teach. I love to sit down and work with my priests and talk with them and have one-to-one -one conversations with them if, if they need to talk to me. But it's always to lead them into Christ. One, one of the things that when, when I became bishop in Fargo and after my experience with the Institute for Priestly Formation and then a 30-day retreat back in 2005 or 2004 was just becoming deeply aware that what was lacking in a lot of priests in, in our formation, including mine, mm -hmm. was that personal relationship and that communion with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. and, and having tasted that, 
and mm-hmm. I and, and having experienced it, I wanted it for them mm-hmm. and for the laity. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I, I and I told the priests, I want you to start making eight day silent directed retreats. Mm-hmm. I want to help you, you know, if you want to move towards a 30 day retreat that you take the time to do a 30 day retreat. Um, and, and it's all to lead them into intimacy with Jesus because it's only in that intimacy that all of the garbage in their life and the wounds in their life will be healed. Mm. And, and, it, and it's only through that turning to the Lord and, and just as they would bring the sick to the Lord, that's my task. Mm. And of uh, bringing my priests who are wounded or who not, do not yet know the Lord to the Lord and to that encounter and, and to really help them to grow and, and, to, and, and to feel, because too many, too many of us, and you know, certainly I was guilty of this in, in my younger priesthood, I always thought I had to do it on my own, mm-hmm. or I had to do it first mm-hmm. and heal myself. And, and, and that the discovery is, no, it's Christ who does the healing. And, and that's the beauty of like the 12 steps is, you know, they, they start with that from the very beginning, mm-hmm. that you have to I surrender help. your, I need help. And I am totally, and in the United States, we're raised to do it on our own. Yep. Or to do it by yourself. Yep. Or, you know, pull up your bootstraps and just go in. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. We have Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think what's beautiful in, in your answer there, I know there's there's so many ways uh, or so many things Nick might be looking for and, and asking that question, you know, so, you know, vision and mission and, you know, plans for an archdiocese. But what I, what I heard from you right there as a priest was um, an archbishop whose primary concern is actually his spiritual sons. Because if I can pour into them, mm. well, then I'm going to impact the whole archdiocese because those are the ones who are doing the on-the-ground work mm-hmm. with the people in the diocese, Absolutely. right? And and everybody's longing, uh, you know, for spiritual fatherhood, and uh, it's it's such an urgent need. So I, I'm just really you know, like on behalf of all the priests, both here in the archdiocese, but uh, all my brothers as well. Just I'm grateful for the way you answered that question because <laughs> that's the top of the list. Is uh, it, it's one of the things anyway. At the top of your list is I got to care for the brothers. Who I work with, and for my spiritual sons who are entrusted with the work of pastoral ministry, and please God, He will He will continue to put that burden on countless bishops' hearts, so that all this thing multiplies, right? I mean, that's spiritual multiplication. You pour into them, and then they pour into those that they're fathering spiritually, and then they pour into those that they're discipling and evangelizing, and that's how this works, right? So I, I love that answer. I'm curious too, like as you look at the landscape in the, maybe beyond the Archdiocese of Denver, which is uh, move into mission and you know, a, a 
for which you're calling upon the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way to just bring transformation and renewal mm. and conversion and whatnot. When you look at what's going on in the country as a whole, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, that's not what I'm trying to do, but what's your what's your prayer for the church in the U.S.? I mean, this, these are sobering times, right? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe we get a Marian apparition tomorrow and everything changes, you know? Yeah, right. Like, it happened in Guadalupe, right. so could happen here, but right. I'm not banking on it. It'd be great. If you want to come, Blessed Mother, that'd be awesome. But presuming that doesn't happen, it looks like it's going to get kind of challenging here. Right. You know, it's getting more and more hostile. Now, when, when, one time I shared with a friend that I would love to be alive at the second coming mm. of Christ. I said, I just really want to be alive. And he looked at me and he said, are you insane? <laughs> you know, how could you want that? And I said, no, nah. I said, do you know how great it will be mm. when Christ comes and appears Amen. and manifests himself? I said, that would be so Glorious. Amazing yep. and wondrous, and and there's not even words you can put to it. You know, it, it's like people when people ask you, you know, well, what's heaven going to be look like? I has not and, seen, and, and yeah. it's impossible. Yeah. That's right. You know, our people will say, oh, you know, we'll we'll have better golf up in heaven. <laughs> 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 break a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I'll finally break a hundred. <laughs> <We're heaven. also laughs> <ex-coppers. laughs> That's right. <laughs> How many points did you yeah. get to this? <laughs> <laughs> but, but not, yeah, and I mean, we do not, we begin to taste mm-hmm. heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the bookstore at Catholic University of America, and it was when I was still in Fargo, and I was at a bishop's meeting, and so I went over to the bookstore, but I saw the title of a book, he is my heaven. Hmm. And I thought to myself, huh. I, and the title grabbed my heart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is my heaven. And, but I was curious. As, and it was a, the writings of Elizabeth of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so I bought it and consumed it. And, but there is a letter in there that she wrote to her mother, superior, and uh, at, at that time, as she was dying, and as Elizabeth of the Trinity was dying, and she said, "God has put it on my heart to let you know that you are loved." Hmm. And we have such a hard time believing. And receiving mm. the unconditional love mm. of the Father and of Jesus mm. and the Holy Spirit. And of just, you know, and, and so wanting that for our country, mm. and, and that is one of my real prayers for our country, mm. that, and especially for the church, that the church will come to see the power of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. be absorbed in the world. Right. And because too many are absorbed in the world right now and too many want think the world is going to bring us happiness and everything 
that the world brings is going to pass away. Hmm. And, and, and I remind people and remind myself, everything I own is going to be gone at some point. And you never see a U-Haul truck behind a hearst. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so all those clothes, all those jewelry, all those things that you have in your closet, the shoes, everything, none of it's going with you. The cell phone, the iPad, nothing. Mm -hmm. The only thing you take with you is how well you have loved Jesus Christ and how well you have loved others. Mm -hmm and brought others to Jesus. St. John of the Cross says something yeah. similar. He says, in the twilight of our lives, in the sunset of our lives, we will be judged on one thing. Did we love? Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to love unless we allow that authentic love of the Father to come in and heal us. That's, that's the only way, right, to your mm -hmm. point. So this is great. So can we segue real quick? Because so many people probably have read your article, and if they haven't, I want, we want to steer them to it, that you wrote on Eucharistic coherence. Mm -hmm. Um, in um, it was published in America and then Catholic. You, you also wrote Catholic something World, in Catholic World right, Report. I, I did a follow up in Catholic. So Children's so here we are talking about love, right? And the church pe people outside and inside the church, oftentimes with regards to some of the church's teachings, go, well, we need to we need to stop doing what we're doing because that's not loving. And so we have this this uh, deformed understanding of love that says something like, well, love means to let the other person do whatever they want, which of course isn't love. Love is to what what is genuinely good for another person. And so sometimes, you you know, Mary and Nick are both parents. You know, when your child's reaching its hand towards the really attractive red stove, you say, don't do that. Not because you want to hurt them, but because you know that will be harmful to them. And so out of love, you go, don't touch the stove. <laughs> you touch the stove, you're going to get hurt. I don't want you, I don't want to see you get hurt. I'm your father. I'm your mother. I love you. Don't do that. So the church is teaching oftentimes, because it's just from the Lord. The Lord says, you know, the reality is I'm free to choose to do whatever I want to do, but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to what I do. And so out of love, God the Father says, choose life, because that's better than death, right? It's kind of disturbing sure. that I have to be told oh, yeah. to choose life. But that's another topic one night. Sure. Um, and so with, the, with regards to something like the church's teaching on the Eucharist and who can receive the Eucharist, we're so confused on this in the church sometimes. Although actually, here's the, here's the oddity. I don't think most lay people are confused. The, the lay people that we know, they're not confused. They're wondering why bishops seem to be so confused in speaking so strongly about, hey, like if I'm not in grace, and if I don't accept as true what the church teaches, mm -hmm. then I shouldn't present myself. Like this is what mm -hmm. we teach to everybody in RCIA. And yet so few seem to be teaching this in the way that you just did. Can, can you just help people understand real quickly what you were writing there, what you're trying to get through, and give, give to our folks a way to help them understand how they can have difficult conversations with people on this topic of reception of the Eucharist? Okay. Um, first of all, the motivation, as you noted, is charity. Mm -hmm. It is love. And, uh, and, and the example you give is of the child with the stove, the parent. And, and there's all sorts of guardrails that you put up so that you can stay in that relationship and, and receive the love that is there. And, and so 
with that, it's we're, we're warning people, saying to them, first of all, really look at the Eucharist hmm. and what the Eucharist is. Do you truly know you are receiving the second person of the Trinity? Mm-hmm. You are truly receiving the Son of God. Hmm. And that is who is coming to you and, and opening your heart to that. And, and we wonder why people don't believe. Right. It's because we have really cheapened the right. Eucharist and said, you can come and receive however want you want to receive. Now, and, and so helping people to first see the gift of the Eucharist, secondly, to see that it's an act of love, and then thirdly, to really form their consciences. Hmm. There, there's too many people today who think of conscience not as the voice of God, but as I'm the one who decides what's right and wrong or hmm. what's good and evil. Hmm. And it's not me because we all know that we can't get a whole group of people to agree on what's right and wrong. Hmm. But God has given us the guardrails of the Ten Commandments, of the Beatitudes, of the teachings of Jesus. Mm. And so those are what we, am I living them? Mm. And am I truly obedient to what God has revealed? Mm. And, and so forming one's conscience is essential because one's conscience can be erroneous. Mm. And when was the last time you ever heard a sermon or preached on erroneous conscience? Mm, right. And, and, and people at times will look, what do you mean it can be erroneous? And uh, if it's God's voice, well, is it? And, and you have to test the spirits because God's voice could never tell you, well, let your child touch the stove. Right. And let your child get <laughs> just this time. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. You know, it's only at three seventy-five. It, it's only three seventy-five. Or let your child run in front of the car. And what's happening is that people who are in a very public state of disagreement with the teachings of the church, and if they're in disagreement, then they shouldn't be receiving the Eucharist. And, and because they, by receiving the Eucharist, they are saying, I believe everything. Right. And I will live everything. Mm. And, and my first belief and my first surrender is Jesus Christ. Mm. Mm. And he is who is true God and true man. Mm. And, and, and then the other, the other big issue is universalism. It, yeah, and if everybody's going to heaven, no matter what, no matter what, then yeah, you know we may as well all pack up and go home, right? <laughs> and right. because there's no need for the gospel, right? And it, it, if the if God was truly, it, it, if God would said there is no hell, then why did He send Jesus Christ, right? That's right. Jesus and, wasted his effort on the cross, apparently, for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't need that. 
and, and, and I mean, and, and people don't connect all the dots. Mm. And it's one of the great problems of the church today. Mm. Uh, and in really proclaiming the gospel and, and helping people because the Eucharist can transform our lives mm. if we truly believe in the Eucharist. Or it can be eating and drinking condemnation, right? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, and, and, and you and your article, I'm so grateful you quoted Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, right? I mean, so examine yourself lest you eat and drink condemnation. So Paul goes on to say, right, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. Yeah. What? Why? Because I've, I've approached the Eucharist and I mean, you know, like I think when we did a, an episode on this number of months ago, I mean, we all talked about how many times did we in our youth or whatnot yeah. receive the Eucharist unworthily without knowing what we were doing, yeah. right? And it's like, oh, Lord, please don't ever mm-hmm. let me do that again. Like, I don't want to eat and drink condemnation. Right. I want, I want, yeah. the, I want the grace and the power to transform uh, my, my mind, my heart, my will that the Eucharist, that the Lord wants to give me when I receive it. But the condition of where I am when I receive it matters, right? Absolutely. And, and we've just kind of gone yeah. away from that. If people haven't read this, just can't encourage them enough. Just do a quick search, yeah. Archbishop Aquila. We'll put a link maybe uh, to the episode notes so that people can find it if, if you haven't seen it yet. But it's so, I'm just so grateful you had the courage to write this. Uh, and that you wrote it in the way that you did and that you framed it in the way that you did. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the gospel and with love. That's exactly right. You know, right. And, and the thing is, the early fathers of the church wrote about it and, and spoke to that, yeah. that, that you must be prepared to receive the Eucharist. Yeah. Or do not approach. Or, or do not approach right. and be reconciled. Right. And then approach. Mm-hmm. And thanks be to God for the beauty of confession, right? I mean, that's oh, absolutely. A, it's supposed to be a challenge to us to go, oh, okay, something's out of whack in my life. And God's not condemning me. He's saying, no, I've given you the means to get that right. It's right over here. It's called the grace of reconciliation. Celebrate the sacrament and then come to the Eucharist, right? So, well, and, and, and it's the first one of the first gifts that he gave us after his resurrection. When he stands in the midst of the, pot, at the apostles, he gives them the gift of peace and then he says, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. Yeah. And that's the basis and foundation of confession for confession. Right. I've always found that to be, and, God is such a realist. Here's the day Jesus rises from the dead, conquers the power of sin, right? And, <laughs> and, and says to the apostles, guys, it's going to continue to be a struggle. <laughs> so I've already conquered this, but not yet fully. Right? It's not yet fully eliminated from your lives. So I'm giving you authority to be able to deal with this. I mean, like, God is a realist. It's so comforting to know that, that he doesn't have an expectation of me that's beyond what I can actually do. It's, it's, I love that. This is a fantastic conversation. One of the things that I'm thinking about as, as I listen to you, Archbishop, and you, Father John, is um, just the reality that, so Jesus is concealed under the form of bread. Mm. If we ever heard the gospel and experienced the power of God, it is highly unlikely I will ever believe that God would actually be bread. If I haven't heard the gospel. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah right. So 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 like you talk about like we're talking about all this stuff, all these connections, you know, and the, yeah. and the renewal of the church, renewal of priests and myself and one another. If I'm going to reverence the Eucharist, mm. 
right? And more to adhere to the, the teachings of the church and the, the teachings of Jesus. Mm. It, it, we have to hear the gospel again and again and again. I mean, I'm being inundated daily, and I, and I try to censor myself, right? But I'm being inundated constantly with the attack from the world and the devil. Mm. And so to hear the gospel, to re-surrender my intellect, my will, my emotions, mm. my entire self, my life, just continues to empower me to continue to step deeper and remain in belief that, Jesus, that really is you. Mm. You know, you've changed my life. I believe you're mm. present in the Eucharist. And therefore, and, I can reverence it. And, and something that many of us forget and, and that many Catholics forget and aren't maybe even aware of is in John 6, where you have the teaching on the bread of life mm. and where Jesus really is clear and even pushes mm. that clarity to say that my body is true food, my blood is true drink, there's disciples who leave. Mm. Right. And so the teaching around the Eucharist has always been divisive. Mm. Right. And, and Jesus turned to the 12 and asked them, are you two going to leave me? Right. And, and that's a good question to reflect on for the disciple. As you meditate on John 6, Jesus is speaking to you right. directly, asking you personally, Nick, mm -hmm. are you Mary? Are you Father John or me mm -hmm. as, as a bishop? Do you too want to lead me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some and, hard sayings. And, and, right? and yeah, there are hard sayings. Yeah. You know, Archbishop, mm -hmm. um, we were talking earlier about the power of the gospel to transform lives. And when we were all involved in parish ministry, um, it, was, uh, it was our vision to offer everyone in our community a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And so we had people sitting in the pews who would honestly say they didn't have a personal friendship with Jesus. Right. But, but when, that, when we facilitated that encounter, when they heard the gospel proclaimed in power, men and women would testify they'd been Catholic for 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden, after that, they'd had that encounter they had that friendship with Jesus, their experience of the Eucharist dramatically changed. Mm. And they would testify that the Mass was no longer boring, mm. and they were hungering and thirsting for the Eucharist in a way they never had before. It, just, it, it takes us all the way back to the beginning ran the of the confession. conversation. Hmm. And right. people had been to encounter. confession in 35 years, yep. yeah. and, mm. and we just saw massive restoration yeah. happen. And um, praise God we have the sacraments, That's right? right. Um, but again, just the richness, of the power of the gospel to yep. transform the lives that animates and brings truth to like, oh my gosh, right. look what we have in the Eucharist. Yep. I think uh, somebody said once, uh, a priest friend of mine, he says, uh, you know, he sees the, the staggeringly low statistics on the belief in the real presence. And he says, you know, a lot of people see that and the response is something like, wow, we have to teach that. And he says, I don't think it's a problem of people not having heard it. I don't think people believe it, and they don't believe mm -hmm. it because they don't have a they don't have a sacramental vision of reality, mm -hmm. and and they don't have they don't mm -hmm. have a biblical vision. That's why we that's why we lead with the gospel. That's why everything we do starts with the gospel because reality is so much more than just what we can see. Yeah. But but I don't have that vision. I'm not born with that vision that's given to me in baptism, huh? But it can be it can be kind of squelched if it's not continually nourished. 
And if I don't do everything that I can to cooperate with the grace that God gave me at baptism, if it's not watered by good parenting, if I wasn't led into an encounter with the Lord by somebody who helped to evangelize and disciple me. And so what we're trying to do, and, and, and we see it in priests, and thanks be to God for guys who can say, this is changing my mm -hmm. life. I mean, I, we're, we're sitting here in the Acts of the Apostles in the Easter season, and I love the reading in the Acts of the Apostles. It was just a couple of days ago where the last line is, and even some priests began to believe, you know? And I, and I, know, I know Luke's talking. Luke's talking about the uh, the Jewish priesthood there, but I just think God is cracking up in that line right now. And like, imagine that even some of us are beginning to believe. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? So we we can we could talk so much longer with you. We are so grateful for you, uh, Archbishop. It's Amen, such a gift are. to Thank serve you. you. It's such Thank a gift to, gift to serve the Archdiocese of Denver. Uh, we we want to encourage yeah, you've people. Been a tremendous blessing for us. Oh, thanks. Uh, it, you're a great gift for us. It's an honor for us, no, huh? we, all of us. Uh, we, we, many times moved to Thank tears you. over the last several days. Yeah. So please, people, pray for uh, Archbishop Aquila. Pray for all the bishops in our country. Pray for your bishop, wherever you might be. Pray for wisdom, for courage, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. Do everything you can to write, to encourage, to let them know you're praying, to get in front of the Blessed Sacrament for them, uh, just to let them know you have their backs. And, uh, you know, we, we close every episode with these words, but uh, I just feel like the Lord wants to say them to you in a particular way right now, Archbishop. Mm -hmm. um, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. God bless. Amen. Mm -hmm.